Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. I love this listener question. My alcoholic husband snores so badly that I have to sleep in the guest room often. I know it is linked to drinking because the more he drinks, the more he snores. He tells me that I'm crazy and that he has a deviated septum and he has always <laughs> snored. Am I right or am I crazy? You're right. You're right. 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 Is there anyone sitting at this table who is married to someone that drinks a fair bit who doesn't snore? No? No. 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 no way. I know you guys are like, this is awesome. We're doing TV, not radio. Why is, uh, why is he asking a question that takes a show of hands? <laughs> yeah. No, so the day my husband stopped drinking, that day, that night he stopped snoring. And I slept in the guest room so much. His snoring was so bad. I could hear him all the way out in the living room when he was in the bedroom. Mm. But the same day he stopped drinking, same day he stopped snoring. That's amazing. This qualifies as a universalism. 11 out of 11 for people yep. sitting around this table. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Thank you all for being here. We are recording live at our summer of 2023 Echoes of Recovery retreat from the Rocky Mountains. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for Thank having us. We've been having a great time, and I'm sorry to drag everyone over to the big microphone and get serious for a minute here, but really, really appreciate you all being here. Sherry? It's been great, huh? It has been great. You like hosting? I do like hosting. Yeah. Yeah, and I get to listen to other people talk. It doesn't just have to be you. <laughs> or you. Or you. <laughs> you guys hit that a little hard. <laughs> but I can take it, and I know you're right. Today we're going to talk about what it's like to share your story, knowing that your story is linked to someone else's story. I think a lot of our listeners will understand what I mean. But just to give that a little more color, when you are in a relationship with someone with a drinking problem, you deserve support, you deserve recovery, you deserve attention and love and all the things that you need to make progress and heal. And the problem is to go out and seek that support, you have to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to use a big word and have you guys react to it. You have to almost betray the person that you're married to. Because you can't tell your story without telling someone else's story. Seeing a lot of nodding heads. Does mm -hmm. anyone want to address that? Or you guys want to make me call on somebody? Well, we've already been betrayed. So, yeah. Yeah, honey, we've been betrayed for however long we've been drinking for years. So, I don't see it as being a betrayal towards them. It's just that we have to detach and cut that off and do whatever we have to do to get better from then on out. So, did sharing your story... Did that come relatively easy? I did it immediately. So I I did it knowing that I, I, I needed to do that. So I told my husband, I'm going to tell all of my people. I'm telling our children. I'm telling all of my friends. I'm telling anybody who I want to tell. But I will leave your family to you. Mm. That's his deal. So I'm not going to tell his parents or his sister or any members of his family. I thought that that would be a betrayal. But I told everybody on my side and all my friends and yeah, I mean, and they were just all super supportive. I don't, I wouldn't have been okay without doing that. Yeah. Well, you, you are in a strong position. It comes across. 
how did he react though when you said, "Hey, listen, here's where I'm drawing the line, and it's probably not a place you're super comfortable with." He said, "Please don't do that." Okay. And I said, "I'm sorry, I'm doing it anyway." And I did, and it was okay. He saw that it was fine. So once I did it, there was nobody attacking him, or it was just love and support for both of us that we were both going through this. So there was no judgment or people. I mean, I did have a little here and there that I didn't tell him. Of course, my friends. Oh, my gosh, you got to leave him right now. Mm-hmm. You've got to get out of there right now. I didn't tell him those things. You know, he doesn't need to hear that. You know, my friends no. and I worked through that ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's none of his business anyway. But um, his family still doesn't know. The only person in his family is his sister. His um, parents don't know. We're going on a big trip with his family in a couple of weeks. None of them know. And Will they be surprised to see him not drinking? Yes, and they all drink a lot. Does he have a plan for confronting that? He or when said, he's confronted, I should say? He has a plan to walk around carrying a cup in his hand with something in it okay. so nobody bothers him. And when things start getting really like people, you know, as the day goes on and sure. the night goes on, people are really drinking hard. He said, I'm just going to go to bed. Well, I'm envious of you in two ways. I'm envious of you for your boldness and your strength, but I'm envious of you that your husband is more mature and adult-like than I was because I would have ripped the roof off the house if Sherry had done that. And I'm curious, thank you, Nikki. I'm curious for others sitting around the table that might be married to someone who is a little less rational and a little more like me. Has anyone had experiences where that didn't seem like the right first move and the story was hidden a little more? I was just talking about this yesterday with some, on our walk and saying that um, I had told, when he went into rehab, I told friends. And when he came out, he's like, have you told anybody? And I said, well, yeah, I told some people. That's my story to tell. He was really just so hell-bent on, that's my story to tell. I said, this is my story to tell. And I told my side of it. And uh, we were talking a lot yesterday about shame. And I think a lot of what his feeling was is, shame and and if, if who he became from who he thought he was and um so but i said i needed the support i need support you've got all your you had your 30 days of support you still have all your support i needed support also so it was um he didn't say much after that but he was not happy about it not happy at all about it one of one of the things that i think is really interesting the alcoholics myself certainly included and again, fairly universal, we don't have any idea that our spouses need support. We know that we've done things, and we've. some of us apologized a lot along the way. Others don't apologize at all along the way. But either way, we think, you know, I'm the one with the drinking problem. What do you need support for? Was It sounds like, was your husband more quiet about that, or did he get the fact that you needed support? He didn't get the fact at the beginning, and when I, after I read your book and started joining the Echoes on Wednesday, I had to explain to him a little bit more that this just isn't about him, that I'm going through recovery also, and he's like, what do you mean you're going through recovery? So we had to talk about that, and I guess eventually he understood, you know, he understood that I was trying to make changes so that we could try to find each other again which we're still working on two and a half years later. <laughs> but um, it was, he did understand it a little bit more, but not to the extent that I knew that I needed, you know, this, I needed help. I needed to make changes. I needed support from, um, well, this group and then from my friends as well. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it's nice when you do find a group that you find support, like with Echoes. I'm not, you know, tooting our own horn here, but <laughs> it's a different type of support than what your friends and close family members that you share with can tell you because they don't understand. Like Nikki, you said, your close friends are like, well, you've got to divorce them. Well, we understand. That's just not as easy, <laughs> yeah. you know, to do. No. So yeah. finding people that know what you're going through and can have those just those little nuances of like, oh, it was a bad day. They know what that means. What is a bad day? Julie, yes. you referenced the two and a half years, and I'm glad you did, because that speaks to two things. It says that you're still working and you're still tenacious about this and you're trying to figure it out and you're not giving up. But it also speaks to the duration, how long this takes to to gain the kind of recovery, both in an individual basis and for those that are working to restore the relationship. The relationship stuff takes a long time, too. So I'm glad you put that timing in there. Alma, I saw you nodding your head quite a bit when we were talking about both, you know, uh, it being difficult to share your story as it relates to the story of your spouse, and then also um, the fact that the spouse needs recovery, and that's not widely understood. Can you share a little bit of your experience? Yes. Um, I think I had a very different experience than Nikki. I was so scared to tell my story. Um, it didn't feel like mine. It did feel like a betrayal. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I didn't, um, and like the story kind of was told when things just got really bad and it was like, oh, this cannot be just, you know, in our house anymore. Um, and there was such relief in like being able to um, share with um, other supports because um, to, to what you said, the support that we did get was very loving and it was understanding and it was not blaming. Because um, actually I think I was scared of that, you know, scared that the, you know, my loved ones would, um, um, would judge me, would judge him, and I didn't want that for either of us. And we did get, um, you know, some support. I think, I don't know, it's, um, and I'm very open now with my closest friends and family, and it's just nice to be able to be honest, and um, it's a relief. And um, I found Echoes about a year ago, and, um, it wasn't until also until I read the Sober Evolution book that I didn't that, you know, I have said a couple of times in conversation this weekend that we just didn't know. I didn't know. I I thought, you know, once sobriety happens, then our relationship will get easier and the problems will go away. And we had a year of sobriety. The problems did not go away. And then we lost sobriety or my husband, you know, lost his sobriety. And, and, and then it was at that point, it was like, oh you know, crap, we lost this opportunity to take sobriety and build on it, but we just couldn't, you know, and I, I didn't know that I needed recovery. I was still doing all the finger pointing at, um, all of the, you know, all of his side of the street. I didn't, I don't know. And so this group has been very healing. And, um, but even when I was, um, starting to join Echoes, I was so scared. I was scared to like, say my name. I was scared to like say what we had been through. There's so much um, shame in it. And, um, but, he, but I don't feel that. 
as much anymore, if at all, but because it's just so, you know, it's just something that people go through and, um, yeah, and having the support of this space is different than family support too. Um, so that's what I have to say, and thanks for calling on me. Please do. So just going along with what you're saying is that it, it and I think it's important for people to know that it really, and like Matt had said, what I had said was, it does take a long time. And if you don't share your story, and you do think it's going to end, so once they get sobriety, it's like, oh, well, we're going to get back on the road to, you know, back on the horse and ride her into the sunset. And it doesn't happen like that. If you're not sharing with people what's going on with you, that just gets worse and worse and worse because then you get more and more resentful towards your spouse because it's taking so long and you don't have anyone to talk to because you're like, oh, well, it's going to be over so fast. I don't really need to share with everybody. But you really do. You need that yeah. time, you know, and, and you really need that time and, and to get to where you need to get to and you need friends and this kind of support to help you along the way because you really don't know how long it's going to take because let me tell you, I never thought it was going to take this long and we are still so far away from where we both want to be. You know, we say all the time that sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. And I've actually never put two and two together like this until listening to just the beginning of this conversation. For people on your side of the fence, for the loved ones, for the spouses, the recovery doesn't start until you figure out what that form of connection is that you need to support you and to start your recovery. So just like I can get sober and I can be a dry drunk, you can kind of be a dry, whatever that would be, dry spouse, <laughs> just floundering Absolutely. without yeah. help. Because yeah. we all have created these really bad habits. We have to break all of these really bad habits. That's a good yeah. point. I think you become void of authenticity, right? You're, you just, you're just maintaining. You're not your authentic self because you can't tell anybody mm. or you feel ashamed to tell somebody. Or when you do tell somebody, they're like, oh, sorry, you're dealing with that. Um, and then they go on to the next thing. So either you're dismissed and like, so you need like a group like this so that you can start to realize like how much it has affected you. So you can be your authentic self and then you can start to develop what you actually want and need and deserve and then move on from there. That's how I kind of look at it. Well, I, I, lo I love it. Please, that? yeah, of course. So in addition to that, when you do share with your friends and family or you share with your closest friends, you still might not share all of the details, right? right? So you're still not 100% authentic. Right. Some people might be, but most of us, I think, probably aren't. Nobody wants to tell our best friends all the stuff we're putting up with because mm -hmm. then when we would be asked, what the hell are are you doing in this relationship still? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so the nice thing that I found with this group over time has been we're all in it together. We all have had the same types of bad days. We all are able to share the ins and the outs and the, the good days and the really, really terrible days. Yeah. And we don't want to water it down. Exactly. Right. We can be our authentic self. Yeah, there's no watering down. So, because I mean, I do that too. I told all those people, but I watered it down. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it, from it's the so very horrifying. Beginning. How could you not? And you well, want to spare embarrassing. Them. And you want to spare them too, because you feel embarrassed. You feel shame that you've put up with it, and you're like, I'm not going to horrify if they knew what really happened. And sadly, they a lot of people that you find when you are authentic and you share, they have experience, and so it just is amazing that you. Like I was really lucky that I had a really good friend that was living a parallel life, mm-hmm. so we did have that um, to do before we had echoes here. But what I heard was when you said that you told your friends and they said, oh, sorry, you're dealing with that, and then they moved on. Yeah. I think a lot of people lose the sight of the fact that we are in this just as much as they are, maybe more, because we're feeling all the things, and they're not. Right. And so I think if anything, yes, they need help to get sober. Yes, they need help to work on their whatever, but... We are left holding the bag. We're left with all the other things. So actually, I would argue we need more support maybe than they need. And that's why I think rehab is a vacation and we need something different. That's an important distinction, Marie, because as the alcoholics, we tend to compartmentalize. First of all, there's a lot of memory issues, right? There's a lot of blackout drinking and then... We kind of come to the realization something bad happened. I got to apologize for that. But I can't keep alcohol in my life unless I'm able to apologize or not apologize in some some cases and then move on. You guys never get to move on, right? It just It's like compounding memories as opposed to I take this bad memory, I put it in a box, I put it away, and then maybe I, maybe I don't drink or I don't drink heavily for a little while, but eventually I'm back to doing the same thing over again. And the... The evidence of that is how raw, I mean, you specifically, Marie, as you're talking, I'm sure that our listeners can hear you're right on the edge of the raw emotions right now. And you're not, you know, you're not the only one, you're not the first one. So the word authenticity was used. It was used a couple of times. I'm curious, why is authenticity important? What's different when, as opposed to, let's say you're telling your best friend who's never experienced alcoholism, they say, wow, that sucks. I think you should divorce him. And then they move on with their day versus finding people who get it. Why, does, why is it important to be able to be all the way authentic? Anyone want to tackle that? Please. Sarah. So I have a couple of thoughts. But one is we all have like concentric circles of friends and supports. And, you know, the, the very center are the people that we rely on the most and that we can be the most authentic with. And then as the circles go outward, we rely on them less and can can be kind of like share a little less of ourselves. And unfortunately for our alcoholic husbands, their their inner circle includes us and no one else. And in fact, some of the circles around that are also empty. Because it's it's the nature of the disease, right? You're isolated, you kind of self-soothe, and you push everybody away. Um, so for me, like I, I, I told a couple of friends right away and it was a real source of issue between me and my husband because he was very ashamed. Um, and although I felt acutely, um, the fact that he thought I betrayed him and that he felt that it was his story to tell, I was not very apologetic about that decision. I would have made the same one over and over again. Because I needed the support, and I knew I did. Not only that, but, like, I don't like to hide things. It's just, it feels inauthentic. (laughs) And as much as possible, I like to show up as authentic as I can 
for the circles depending on how close they are to me. Mm-hmm. So basically, he has his authentic circles or his, uh, his circles of authenticity, and I have mine. The problem that we're running into now is where they overlap, right? Where like I have a friend and he's friends with a husband where they're in our friendship community. How do we handle those? Um, if I go out, what am I saying about him and why he's not there? And at different, as he's been in different places of his sobriety, he's had, he's allowed me to say different things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll say, oh, he's traveling, so he can't be here. Or sometimes it's, he's not drinking right now, so this might be a hard thing for him to do. And <clears throat> most recently it's been, he's not drinking anymore. And that's about as authentic as he's allowing me to be about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just starting to tell some people now, but he's like shaving off little bits of it. Like there's the statement and then there's all the feelings under it. And he's really at the statement stage right now. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that this is a, and part of this is that we are walking through this together and I'm trying to honor his experience while still being true to myself. And that is, it's just been very tricky. Um, I will say that, as we communicate, and if I say I'm going to, like, it's so much easier if I talk to him in advance about what I'm going to say or who I'm going to say things to. And I don't necessarily let him call the shots. So it's not like, do I have permission to do this? this it is, let's talk about this and come to a conclusion about how this is. And if, sometimes he doesn't agree um, with what I'm going to end up doing, but I'm the face of it right now because he's not comfortable being out. So anyway, it's an ongoing struggle, um, but I think it's also one of those things that, one of those pieces of communication that sort of need to happen at the beginning in order to kind of build a strong foundation for us to move forward because it is something that feels like a betrayal, that feels like we have to be able to trust each other on this. That's a good point. You brought up something really interesting when I communicate with folks that are on my side of the street that are trying to find sobriety, I say now, and I didn't say, I didn't used to say this, but times are changing and they're changing really fast. Sobriety is now viewed as a healthful life choice. It used to be, if you were sober, there must be alcoholism in your story because why on earth would anyone be sober otherwise? But it's, that's not the case anymore. And so if, if you're in my shoes and you have suffered from alcohol use disorder or you have drank too much whether you want to own the label or not you can go to parties you can go to social events you can go to your family and say i'm choosing not to drink because i'm i'm and i'm also eating more vegetables and i'm also exercising (laughs) it fits in with a healthy lifestyle explanation whereas it, it didn't used to and i've had conversations with spouses who have said well that's bullshit because you can say that but that now my story is even deeper hidden now i now i can get no support from family because you're just telling them you're eating broccoli and not drinking beer and those two are the same thing and they're not the same thing well sarah brought a good point was like i remember you would tell me what i could say yeah i was terrible Uh, yeah like you know or i had to be the designated drinker at parties and i didn't want to drink because you're like well we both can't be so i could be the designated driver so now you've got to drink you know, and you need to keep drinking. So it looks like you need to <laughs> Like, but that telling me what I could say. He peer pressured you into <laughs> peer pressure. Well, it didn't take much. I mean, yeah. already, like, I, I feel like joking now. Yeah. But he would just, like, you know, because he didn't want to look like, oh, she's. Right. 
drinking one drink, but I would like, well, I'll just sip on it and I'll make it look like I'm getting more, you know? Oh, because he wanted the excuse because he that wanted he had to drive. Exactly. You were, you so were his to be. I was his scapegoat. Yeah. I was his scapegoat, or I could give out a tiny bit of information. And then I had to reinforce his lie. Oh, yeah. Like, how long have I been sick, Sherry? And I finally got on this, like, third round of antibiotics. I'm like... You need to work out your lies before the party. Not on the, you know. Now. And it was difficult because sometimes at a different parts of his sobriety, I would be able to be more open than others. And I'm like, oh, well, crap. Now I've told this person this entire story. And then this person knows this. And I can't keep all the. This is why I'm authentic in the, in the beginning because I have no memory from what I've told people. I can't lie because it just I just end up falling over myself. But, but yeah, I mean, it. it the communication, and I'm not saying it's great from his side, right? Like, I, I'm not saying he would say this, have the same. But to me, continuing to have that ongoing conversation about what, what do you feel comfortable saying? What is okay for me to say? How uncomfortable is this for me right now? How much do I feel like even being out? Um, do you want me to be out or do you want me to be home? Does it even matter? Like, for, for me, there's, there's so many complexities to this. Um, and the ongoing communication has just been important, even if we don't agree on things. Yeah. I think the giggles are really important because it sheds a light on the fact that the choice to not drink, there's nothing wrong with that choice. And you guys are like, Matt, you were doing what? You were making it like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? But I'm, I'm here to tell you that when you have alcohol use disorder and you're in early sobriety, the thought of not drinking is not a, just a simple decision. There's a lot that goes into it, and I will continue to, you know, anyone who asks my opinion, I'll continue to share their opinion, my opinion that in early sobriety, when you go to a social event, you need to have like three excuses in the back of your mind because you're not going to, you're not sure which one's going to feel right when you show up. But I think it speaks to how authentic you guys all are when you, you know, face this because you think that's, that just sounds ridiculous. And I, I really do appreciate that. I'm curious, does anyone else have an experience that's a little more similar to Sherry and I in, again, I would have torn the roof off if she just started talking. Has anyone had to hold the story locked down more? It, you know, I think it, you let off, Nikki, t- talking very, you know, boldly and defiantly, and I love you for that. I really do, and I honor and respect you for that. But I know there are people for whom it's just not that easy. Like, the whole thing would get burned down if I were to do that. Does anyone have that experience or want to speak to it? I think I had a similar experience. Um, It wasn't really known that my husband was an alcoholic. Even to some extent, um, for me, I had no idea how much he was drinking. Um, It wasn't until the mental health piece came in Mm -hmm. that um, it was really brought to my attention just how bad and dire the situation is. And then at that point, um, I didn't really have much of a choice but to tell his family and my family. But everyone was shocked. Even I mean, even I was shocked. So. That sounds a, a little bit like what Alma was saying. You, you, you try to protect the secret and you try to live this inauthentic life. You do the best you can. People talk about a rock bottom. For me, it's more like the top blowing off. Like you are trying to push it down and push it down and then something happens and it's not an option anymore. Like you are going to have to get help. And um, I see a lot of nodding heads, which I'm shocked by the, the fact that there are nodding heads because 
Alma nodded earlier, and I called on her and put her on the spot, so I didn't expect to see any more nodding. Still. Yeah. Uh, I'm not moving. Jen, I, do you, I think your situation is a little more similar to what Sherry and I went through. Are you comfortable talking about that at all? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I can think back as so many years ago when I first started seeing inklings and seeing some erratic behavior and just things that made me feel really uncomfortable. And I got out my computer and I put in the Google search, like what, you know, what alcoholism, what is it? And I remember the shame and just doing something like that and, you know, and getting, trying to get some information. And then when I was done, like erasing the search history, just in case, not just him, but anyone were to open up my computer. Like it was, I did not want anyone to know. And I went for years like that, you know, and just slowly finding, you know, reading and finding um, podcasts and not really telling anybody. But I vividly remember the time when I went to lunch with a friend and she was the first person that I ever opened up to and told and I just lost it in the restaurant. Like it just felt so good to get that out that I wasn't just, you know, struggling with this on my own anymore. There was one other person. And then I slowly was able to um, talk to my mom and dad about it and got to the point that um, I pulled his parents in um, and they had, they agreed with me. They had seen um, some red flags and they were concerned about him. Um, were you nervous but, about that? The conversation uh, with his, his family? Yes, big time. I didn't know how they were going to react. Um, you know, again, I was relieved that they had agreed and they had seen some things too, but it was more like, um, don't worry about it. We'll get it under control. I mean, I, I don't know what I expected anyone to you know, do or say, but um, just getting it out was helpful. Um, but all the while, any time any bit of information leaked out of me was frightening if he were to find out. Yeah. That was really scary. Yeah. And then when he did, when we did, it, you know, as, as it does, it progressed and just got to a point where it was so bad that I pulled our families together and um, tried an intervention, hired, hired an interventionist, and um, <laughs> that is something that is still held against me, every, like to this day, and every member of his family and my mom and dad, how dare you people, you know, go against me and ambush me, and he doesn't see it like these are people that love him um, and wanted the best for him and wanted him to get better, and that was years ago, <laughs> I mean, 2017. So he's still holding on to those resentments. And I mean, thank God for groups, for our group and for some other podcasts that I'm listening to and just everything that there are things out there that thankfully that can help help us through this um, because I want to get to like, how Nikki is. I want to get to that point where I can, and, and I do now and try to be respectful of him and knowing that he doesn't want his story out there, but like it's it's my story too, yeah. and I I have a right to tell it in a way that doesn't you know just throw him under the bus, but um, where I can find support. Well, I think it's really bold that you're you're here with us and you're speaking the way you are. The progression of the disease is fairly universal in the pattern that it takes, but some of the the outbursts, some of the tactics, some of the the gaslighting, the things that come out, those vary, right? So those are, and I think while we're not in a position to share with the listening audience some of those details, 
we all know amongst ourselves some of the details and you've been through a, a lot you've been through a lot and just your your bravery and you know defiance to be here and to speak the way you are is really impressive it really is so when you've got a a Nikki who's able to be bold the way she is and then you've got a different story um they're, the they're both super strong. I mean, that's. I think that's that's one of the points we want to get across. Um, you know, your starting points are different, so getting to the end, the finish line is going to have different hurdles. I don't know why I'm suddenly doing running analogies. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to fit for a second. Let's let's stay on the theme of of family for a second. Um, d- did anyone find reaching out to family was what you expected it to be versus, you know, one of the things that used to happen in our family, I would drink too much when I was on vacation with the whole family and I would lay in bed in the morning after and I'd be like, oh my God, I don't remember the details, but I got to go down and face all those people right now. And I'd go down and it would be like, nothing happened. Oh, Mac, what do you want for breakfast? We're going to do X, Y, and Z today. And I'd be like, were you even here last night? Like, why are you guys treating me? And I expected the intervention any moment that never came. Um, Did anyone experience that kind of cognitive dissonance among your family where you're like, hello, are any of you seeing what I'm seeing? Yes. Yeah? Absolutely. How hurtful was that? It's extremely hurtful. Um, My husband's alcoholism has now been known to my family and his since 2021. And just... I don't know, six weeks ago, we were home visiting my family, and my stepdad opened a beer. It was an N.A. beer, but opened a beer anyway and was offering it to my husband. Mm-hmm. And my mom, her guidance even two weeks ago was, you guys just need to share a drink together. That mm-hmm. will make things That'll better if you just yeah. have a drink together. Yeah. Um, so we, we have to disagree. We have to agree to disagree. Mm. And it's really painful. I've found more support through my husband's, um, family than any, than anyone else. My sister, like pretty much everybody here says, you know, divorce him. Um, and his family says you're doing the right thing and we support you a hundred percent. So it's definitely not been what I thought it would be. Yeah. Wow. Any other intervention stories? Anyone else attempt an intervention? What about the, um, you, you look to advice from friends that you trust and care about, but they haven't necessarily experienced this, as opposed to just being good listeners, they want to tell you what to do, give you suggestions, divorce them. <laughs> no? All right, you guys got any topics? any other experiences you want to well I just sort of I want to bring up something that I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast so this last um, time that you stopped drinking you waited a year and then you decided you were going to construct an email and you were going to send it to everybody in your contacts Um, did you ever consider my feelings and thoughts not at all exactly (laughs) I was hoping you say that because I thought how dare you you're going to out yourself, which is fantastic. You've been sober for a year. We've he- we've kind of hunkered down and not done anything. Uh, this isn't our first rodeo. You had six months of sobriety twice, nine months of sobriety another time, lots of stints here and there. But I thought, how 
dare you put your story out there without even consulting me when for years I had to walk on eggshells, tiptoe around, consult you, be worried about what I was going to say because you're right. Like the house just, you would have tore the roof off every time I like reached out to family. So I just thought that was so, but I was so thankful. I think at that point I didn't even consider that my story was entwined in your story because I was like, I don't fucking care. Who knows? Let everybody know. So when you see him drinking or you see him at the liquor store, call me. You know, like, so then you, and that's why you did it was because you were like, I'm just going to let everybody know. So I don't have, so I have to be accountable to everybody else. Yeah. That was a big part of the reason to announce it was because none of my drinking buddies would drink with me ever again. I mean, I don't have like derelict friends necessarily. They're all fairly upstanding well, people. Well, you did have so. one that said, oh, you're going to go to your AA meeting as, as like an insult when you had tried to quit drinking one time. Right. But for the most part, <laughs> when, when my friends knew what, what was up, they weren't going to sit down at the bar and drink with me. Dude, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you, you told us all that stuff. You can't. <laughs> so the accountability piece was big. Does anyone else find, whether it's you telling the story or your spouse telling the story, that getting it out there helps with the accountability piece of it? Like, it's really hard for them to drink after other people know. That has not been my experience. No? I kind of wondered that, like, just based on the the sex. My husband feels like that. He feels like he's accountable to everybody around him that knows now. So, um, I mean, he has his bar set really, really high. And um, I think one of the reasons why he quit drinking was because he was going against his own moral code. And with the lying, my husband hates lying, and he found himself in that position where he had to lie. And because he was hiding it, because he was hiding it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know it was happening. He was hiding it, and so he was going against his own moral code. And so now that it's out there, you know, he doesn't. He's really the type of guy that cares so much about how everything looks from the outside. You know how? That's why he hid it because he wanted it. You know, like. He just wanted to look a certain way to everybody. But now it's kind of working in, you know, like to my favor or his favor, whoever's favor. You know that it's kind of keep, I think it's, that's part of what keeps him um, sober is that he, that all these people know now, you know, Mm -hmm. so he can't do it. Are you anticipating like that last chapter of relief when he does tell his family or, or when it comes out with his family? Oh, it'll be great. They'll know too. Or I guess if he's just going to walk around with a drink in his hand and not say what it is, it's potentially not going to come to his family. Um, I don't really care what he does. Hmm. I just don't care. I, you know, I've done what I have to do Mm -hmm. and he has to do what he has to do. So, you know, I mean, if it comes out, like if we're at this thing in a couple of weeks with all the family and it comes out and I say something, whatever. So I said it. I'm just not, I'm just not really worried about what he's thinking and feeling about it. You know, like he put me through so much shit for so many years that I'm finally at the point where I'm like, it's not that I don't care about his feelings. I do. But when it comes to this, you know, we are a hundred, both of us were a hundred percent in it. I was a hundred percent and he was a hundred percent. So, you know, it wasn't a 50, 50 or a whatever, you know, we're both a hundred percent in it. And so, you know, I'm going to tell whoever I want to tell, whenever I want to tell them, however I want to tell them, mm. <laughs> like, that's just what's going to happen. I've been giving him the grace to do it himself But 
I don't find myself, I don't feel like I'm keeping a secret. I feel like secrets make us sick. Mm -hmm. And so I don't feel that I'm keeping a secret. I just kind of like don't care about that. I've already told people I need to tell. So if he tells them, that's fine. But I don't, I don't think I'll feel any kind of relief. I felt relief when I told my people. Yeah. You know, like that'd be great for him. I would love for him to feel that, you know, to actually tell someone the real truth Mm -hmm. and for him to be able to feel that kind of, um, release that Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. It's like relief that I did, but I can't force him to do anything. I can't make that happen for him. So, you know, I mean, he's got to be in control of his own narrative. You know, so if someone asks you in a couple of weeks, oh, why isn't your husband drinking today? Let's say they notice, Mm -hmm. would you defer to him? No. And say, you need to just go talk to him about that? No, that actually happened to me a couple weeks ago. So a friend of ours um, was over at our house and he's like, so are you guys still not drinking? Like what's happening with the not drinking thing? You know? And I said, like, it's just like, well, it's healthy. Like, well, it was like a, like a dry January. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, that's going into June, you yeah. know, or whatever, July. And he, are you guys still not drinking? And I, and I said, well, you know, like I said, no, Mike's not drinking. And he's like, really? And I said, well, he's an alcoholic. And our friend looked at, you know, he was like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. I said, well, it's okay. I said, you know, he's an alcoholic and he's sober now and he's not drinking. And so now, you know, you don't have to keep asking us every single time you see us, are you still not drinking? Because yeah. mm-hmm. every time we see him, he lives across the street. So every time we see him, are you guys still not drinking? Are you still not drinking? You know, so now he can just have it's like on he his took own. a pickleball or something. But now he can just like let that go. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have to. Now he just knows what the story is. But I didn't think to myself oh shit now he knows and my husband's gonna get mad I don't care I really just don't I mean I don't see our friend going to Mike and saying so your wife told me that you're an alcoholic what the fuck's up with that like I don't (laughs) see I that's not gonna happen men don't talk like that they don't talk to each other about those kinds of things anything yeah they don't talk to each other you know they talk (laughs) about like they talk about movie quotes and poop and sports I mean that's it I don't know but you know, so. if we really feel like we're on the same page, we might talk about politics too. That's kind of nice. Okay. You know. <laughs> we don't want, we don't want a conflict, but if we feel like, yeah, I know. Well, you just did a running analogy, you know. So, but well, I don't know where that came from. But I wasn't, but I wasn't worried about it. I just said it in the moment because I wanted to say it. I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to censor myself. It's not a way to live. I refuse to censor myself. And if that pisses my husband off, so be it. Go sit in a corner and mope about it. You'll be fine tomorrow. I don't know. Well, going back to the moral compass part, like you said, your, yeah. your husband, was, like it went against his moral compass. My moral compass was set with generations of alcoholism and normalizing the use of alcohol in every day. So for him to have a beer or to have a drink every day, that was normal. Everybody did that. I was the one who was crazy. I was the one who was not, mm, yeah. you know. So so then when it all came out, everyone's like, oh, they'd always ask me how he was doing. They would never confront him. So then I had to keep on carrying his secret until I started to get help. And while they were asking you how he was doing, did anyone mm-hmm. ask you how you were doing? No, not, not one single person. I was <laughs> about to ask that same question yeah, because no. I find that to be no. so... Um, 
there was a lot of I'm fines, I'm fines, I'm, I'm fines. Yeah, they wouldn't that's want to not, hear. They wouldn't want to hear it, and they wouldn't understand. And, and, they wouldn't and then understand. they're like, well, "We're never gonna ask, yeah, how things are going." Yeah, you know why we have each other. Right. This yeah. is why we have each other. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important. It's important, like where your moral compass, like like where you're starting from too, because like he he's understanding now of how much it impacted his life in a negative way, mm-hmm. and that and that's wonderful. But it took it took that it took that extreme of us kind of crashing. You know, and, and coming apart and then finding, trying to figure out how to come back together that he's like, oh my gosh, this was so messed up. Why did I do this for so long? Because everybody in our lives normalized it. This is a drinking. Let's have a shot. Let's do this. Let's, you know, so you get, you come home from work. You have a beer. You mow the lawn. You have a beer. You rake the leaves. You have a beer. You watch the children. You have a beer. You know, like, it was just part of how they were raised and the culture that he he kind of perpetuated because that was the only thing that he had known. So, Sounds like math Did story. you get a, mm-hmm. an apology then? Oh, yeah. Did you get a, an, at least an acknowledgement of the drinking and how it affected you? Have you at least gotten that? Because it sounds mm-hmm. like maybe that. <laughs> a little bit. Okay. Um, um, you know, like it's still kind of seeping out in, in little chunks. We're kind of like baby stepping mm-hmm. um, our feelings. Uh, so I think we're both kind of like waiting for each other to get comfortable with each other. I think you gave the analogy of the turtles. The other day. <laughs> we love the turtles. Yeah. And I'm like, that's exactly need an, how you need an explanation. Oh, yeah, that's what yeah. yeah, what is the turtle? So I, kind of see, I think of, like, couples in a relationship as two turtles, and there's, like, an ecosystem. Like, imagine, like, a snow globe between them, right? And you can, like, breathe out a bunch of poison into your ecosystem, and it poisons both of you, so don't do that. But um, alcohol kind of did that. <laughs> but, like, my husband, like, he basically just brings his entire head and his feet into a shell and, like, shuts it tight and locks it. <laughs> and I am, like, completely out of my shell, like, naked turtle. Like, over a dentist, like, with a chisel and a hammer. It's like, hey, what's going on in there? How you feeling? What are you doing? What's happening? Hey, how to drink? What's going on in there? <laughs> and he's like, go away. So my job... His job is to put his head a little bit farther out, and my job is to get back in my shell and just have my head out. <laughs> so I don't know where you're going with that, but that's the analogy. Episode 202. <laughs> 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 let you figure out what the hell that means. You gotta get all the way to 47 and a half minutes to understand, but it's worth a listen. That'll just be with the show notes. Naked turtles. Naked turtles. Speaking of naked turtles, Avia. Um, no, I'm kidding. That was a, a terrible transition. I'm known for those. Can you do a little bit of a compare and contrast for us from when everything is bottled up? Nobody knows anything. Nobody's allowed to know anything. To what it's like for you now? You've made a lot of progress, both with echoes, but but elsewhere. You have other forms of communication where your story is out to a certain extent. What does that do? Like, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is nervous system regulation. Mm -hmm. Do you feel your shoulders dropping at all? Do you feel like you can relax at all because you don't have to keep it all bottled up inside anymore? Yeah. And I think especially with this group, um, a lot of times something will be happening and I know the right answer, but I kind of get into the brain spin. And so there's been a lot of times I've asked, 
maybe post it on the Facebook group, and then somebody will come in and tell me what I know. I know, but it's but I don't really know it until someone posts it, and then it's like, oh yeah, I knew that. And so it just helps to like, it's like I have clear glasses again. You know, I'm not just seeing, it's not foggy anymore. So. Well, you're um, being validated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like I, I, I pull myself out of crazy land again because, you know, I start going into that crazy land where I'm letting someone else or the environment around us um, tell me what's normal instead mm -hmm. of, um, you know, getting validation of what the normal should be. And what's so interesting about that, you are very well educated in how this disease works. You're very supportive. You're a very loving human. If somebody else asked the same question or posed the same situation that you're posing, you would know exactly yes. what to say. But hearing that from somebody else, there's just so much comfort mm -hmm. in that. We're just, humans are just hard on ourselves. Yeah, and, and the nervous system thing. I yeah. think that's what happens is you're, even though I know the right answer, my nervous system is just buzzing. Mm. And as soon as yeah. someone else validates it, then everything just kind of goes... Well, and there's like the brain fog or whatever happens to your thinking when you're just, you know, you it's kind can't of a fight or flight. Yeah, you can't on. think straight. Yeah. And so, you know, things are spinning. They're not moving in a logical progression. And so it kind of helps the spin mm -hmm. come down a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was just about to call on you, Alma, again and ask you to I finish that thought. It and I got it. You were it. not <laughs> She's like, I'm going to cut that asshole off. <laughs> Not letting him call on me this time. <laughs> Marjorie, one of the things that we all know about you is you're one of the most loving and caring people to other people that I've ever seen. I'm going to say this, and if you want me to cut it out later, I can. That's fine. But I was at the airport with you when everybody was coming into town. And one of the great joys of this retreat for me was watching you literally run up to people that you've never met in person before and give them big squeezy hugs because you were so excited to see them. And when you write and you share in the group, we all get to see your connection with people and how important that is to you. So my question is, when you're going through what you're going through, when you're trying to recover from the drinking of somebody else, you have a lot of... Uh, you're very close with your daughter, for instance, and you have other close family connections. How important to you is it that they understand and they validate your experiences? It, 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 what does it feel like to be able to talk to, to people? You know, we've talked a lot about Echoes of Recovery, but people that are close to you in your inner circle, how important is, is it to you that, that they know what's going on and they can support you? Well, it's... This group is very important to me. Um, my husband is an active drinker. He doesn't use the word alcoholic at all. Uh, we work together. Um, and in our family dynamics, um, the drinking is still very much um, a secret. No one at work really knows. Um, we work with a sensitive population group, and I don't know how well received um, it would be at work. So we just don't talk about it very much. And um, one of the things that um, was happening 
to me is that the isolation from keeping the secret was literally destroying me from the inside out. Mm. And I was becoming very bitter. Um, I had moved from being um, resentful to being angry. I'm, I'm not sure which one comes first. Um, to, but I, I know that I was very bitter and the bitterness was very debilitating. And so um, uh, it was affecting the relationship to a certain extent between my daughter and me because um, talking about my husband and the drinking uh, was becoming like a big topic of conversation between us and um, it wasn't, I mean, she was a victim, she's been a victim, but um, it's not her responsibility. Mm. And so, um, but it was something that she and I shared um, in a way that, you know, as um, partners, you know, you don't share that with your friends and, and other people. So the only ones who really know what's going on are the people under the same roof. And as much as possible, you try to protect and shield your children um, so I knew that I needed some help and so that's what led me to finding the Echoes group and um, I've been a member since October and only recently do I feel like my authentic self coming back to me um, and realizing, too, that, you know, I need to learn to be more assertive. And so, um, and that's been through the support and love and guidance of the people in this group to help me um, understand that it's okay to be assertive and it's okay to tell your story. Um, and so I'm feeling more empowered to um, go home from this uh, wonderful um, trip and try to exert myself a little bit more because um, I want to be a loving person and I feel like that is my authentic self. But I have been shut down for so long um, from keeping the secret, from maintaining hypervigilance uh, while still trying to keep everything together the way that we do. And so um, I'm hoping that, um, that I can continue this little trend of, of being a little more assertive and that will kind of help my authenticity because the bitterness is just not not okay. Yeah, I think it's very interesting you you talk about 
bitterness and resentment. And you can do lots of work on your own recovery. But when you, in your case, right, you're, as you just said, your husband's still drinking. And so it's not like you're fighting against something that has stopped. You're fighting bitterness and resentments against something that is ongoing. And that's an even, you know, that's another set of challenges. And I just think it's a tribute to what a warrior you are that you're here and you're making that kind of progress and that you've committed to yourself. Here's what I want to do when I go home from this retreat. This is my plan of attack, basically, to to try to keep healing. Because that's what it's all about. There isn't a finish line. There's another running analogy, everybody. There isn't a finish line. <laughs> but there is. Sports. Just keep going. Just keep going. We know that we can't change anything but ourselves. We can work on our own recovery. And in that way... Um, keep ourselves mentally healthy and well. Mm, So well said. So I would like to query the table. Um, Who at this table has received an actual acknowledgement from their drinker of the amount of impact that it's had on their spouse, on you as a human being and your relationship? Okay, so we got a few hands. I, I mean, my, what did that look like? I, I think a couple times it came after the marriage evolution, you know, but it, um, it, it brought up a lot of like memories for him and, and then realizations of like what we actually went through because a, a couple times he'd apologize, apologize, but it, it felt ingenuine because he wasn't getting it. So then you know as we kept on doing the work you know a couple more apologies would come up but it's hard it's a little hard for me to accept it still like this already because i'm like well it shouldn't have happened in the first place you know like and i know you apologize and there's nothing you can do to change the path that happened um and you kind of apologize and apologize but i think your actions of how you treat me now and how you show up now are a hundred percent more validating than a half ass. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Love is an action. Yeah. Yeah. So for Ooh, me, love is an action. That was yeah. good. So for for me, at least in my experience, my loved one um, has yet to even acknowledge the impact that this has had um, on our family, on our daughter. And on me, and it's incredibly painful. And so I just wonder, for especially those who are further out, is it ever going to come? I think so much of it is the shame, though. And I, I want, like, I'm a words of affirmation person, and like that verbal validation, I, I feel similarly would feel really important and meaningful, but. Um, I think that I'm seeking validation through myself and through some of y'all who get it. And um, I'm trying to also hold compassion for his side because I think he feels immense, um, immense shame. Like I think he knows how painful it's been and how hard it is. And I think it's hard for him to kind of not feel shame and instead just 
feel space or hold space for like for him to not blame himself enough that he can acknowledge that you know this has been horrible you know it's been a tornado that has hit our household and he's been impacted and I've been impacted and um you know but the finger pointing really gets in the way of that and whether it was me pointing the finger at him or him pointing the finger at me or him pointing the finger at himself like all of that just really gets in the way of just that space for like like none of us want neither of us wanted this to happen and but I I I do understand like wanting that um yeah I guess I guess in my situation um my husband um in his attempts to even discuss what's going on he does a really good job of totally taking the blame and putting it somewhere else altogether mm-hmm. like our daughter in her school oh well she didn't do well because she's lazy well there's a whole lot more that I'm not going to talk about here that was going on in the background and it's totally reasonable if you're doing going through that to have that to happen mm-hmm. and just like with what I'm going through it would be nice to have just a simple yeah. i know this imp- impacting you very you know very in a meaningful way or a really hurtful way right um and i'm sorry and i'm here right and we'll get through it together just something right yeah. um but instead it's not even acknowledged and it just hurts so much well like but, i don't know like my husband he has apologized and he says i know that you know it was wrong and I'm sorry and I did these things but on the other side he also says you can't blame everything on my drinking and then also if I try to talk to him about how I was impacted like specifically he immediately just like bows up and he's like and he says um you know are you trying to make me feel guilty like mm-hmm. we just had a conversation like this a couple weeks ago are you trying to make me feel guilty and then it turns into a little bit of an argument and I just keep saying to him like I'm I'm not going to get to the point where I trust you again until you can sit there and listen without saying anything, without responding to what I went through. So what I'm saying to you is that um, I got the apology, you know, but it still wasn't enough. Like, I need to tell my story to him. I've told it to other people. I've told Mm -hmm. my story. But he needs to hear my story. He needs to know. And not to make him feel bad or feel worse or, you know, whatever it is. Right, but so I need it. So you can be known. So I can be known yeah. and yeah. be feel seen and be yeah. heard. Yeah. And so we can then kind of move on from there. Because mm-hmm. right now, um, I mean, he's doing well. There's, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I'm stuck where I am right now. I'm stuck with not being able to trust him. And... I, I don't know exactly what I need, but I think I need that. I, I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that I need that acknowledgement from him. And he's just mm-hmm. not getting it, getting, he's not there yet, so we're stuck. You, this, I think this, that's what I need as well. This little side conversation, this, this aspect, this piece of the conversation, you guys have said three just incredibly important things. 
one of them, what you're talking about there, Nikki, that's what we would call resentment processing. And we, the people on my side of the street, the people who have abused alcohol, when we can get to the point where we can have that conversation, we can hear you say whatever you need to say, and we can acknowledge it to be true. It's not about apologies. It's just about listening calmly and acknowledging. And I can listen to that without it re-traumatizing me. Then that is a sign of my recovery and my growth, which is why I think a conversation like this, the audience needs to be much broader than just the spouses of alcoholics. Now, don't get me wrong. The spouses don't get enough attention. So if only spouses listen to this, then that's great. We've done our job. But I think it would be really great if the audience was wider, if people on my side of the street would listen to this too, because then they could set a goal. Okay, when I can sit there and I can listen to these stories without freaking out or without saying, what are you just trying to dig up the dig up the past? That's a sign of my healing. Another really important thing that was said, Alma talked about the fact that you think your husband knows what's happened, but the shame is just overwhelming and it's it's a hard thing to work through. That's the the work of recovery as well. The other piece though, and this is why I hope people beyond the the spouses of alcoholics listen to this, is I didn't know any of this really. I mean, Sherry and I started this group and we started this podcast and I didn't know this stuff till I met all of you. I Until I heard you say the same things that she said, I mean, I thought, yeah, I've got to apologize. Yeah, her version of the truth, yeah. Pretty good chance it's more accurate than my version of the truth. Okay. But I still didn't get that she needed recovery or that she had gone through anything big until I'm like, oh my God, <coughs> they all say the same thing Sherry says. This must like really be a thing. It like a while for you to offer up any credible apology or acknowledgement and... We had to try resentment processing many, many times. We had always had these, like, resentment, you know, conversations. Like, not, you know, bricks of resentment. Our friend Graham kind of is the one that introduces to it. And he was on a podcast. He, on the podcast. So, you know, but you would, like, get defensive. And then we'd be like, well, fuck, we'll try it again in six months and see if you can start hearing. So it was, like, yeah. many years into your recovery that you were able to... You know, well, kind of listen to it and hear it without it re-traumatizing you or making you feel shame. Yeah. So it was. So unfortunately, yeah, that, it is another timing thing. That I said it like that's that's three points, mm-hmm. but it's really one big complicated point. It all <laughs> yeah. rolls together, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 And yeah. I and I I told I, my husband is very aware that we're stuck until that happens. Mm-hmm. Like I just said, mm-hmm. you don't have to do it today, and you don't have to do it tomorrow. But someday. But, but some, you're going to have to do it or we're just stuck right here. That's it. So I will wait. <clears throat> I will sit and I will wait. And I will keep trying, you know. And that's it. That's all I can do. I can't force him to do it. No. <clears throat> so my husband went through, um, is really committed to AA. And it, you don't hear a lot of, I don't hear a lot of that um, in Echoes. I didn't in the past. I don't know if that's happening now so much with um, spouses so amends, I think, is eight, step eight or something like that. So he gets to that step, and I'm, oh, I'll ask, oh. And he, he doesn't share with me all the different steps. But once in a while, oh, what step are you on? Oh, what step? I'm on eight or whatever. I'm doing amends. So I'm waiting daily, patiently. <laughs> <laughs> and patiently, I'm thinking, hmm, when's mom coming up, you know? 
And a few Should months. I set some time aside? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And a few months goes by, and I check, how's your men's going? How's your, oh, they're going along, okay. And then one day he tells me that he goes to see this ex-friend, and I'm like, you know, that asshole, anything. But okay, you know, I'm thinking this to myself. I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, good, how'd that go? And he told me, and then one day he finally says, he said, you're my last one because you're the hardest. And I thought, hallelujah, I am going to get the best of men's out there. It's been six months. He's had all this time. He's, he's had all this stuff. He's, yes, he's had all this he's reflection well on the 25 people he went and did amends to, whatever it was. So we go to go to dinner one night. And he said, oh, I'm going to bring my amends with me in case we have to wait to be seated. And I thought... <laughs> Exactly. If you can see my face right now, audience, oh. <laughs> perplexed. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, well, at least I'm getting the amends, right? I can't, beggars can't be choosers. So we get there and we have to wait and we sit kind of over in this corner and he pulls out his piece of paper and he explains to me, you know, do you know what amends are? And I go, well, kind of, because well, I'm just going to read this to you. That part was longer of what that was than what his actual amends was to me. <laughs> And it was an apology. It was probably four sentences. I don't even remember the rest of it because I was so pissed that that was all he was giving me. And there was no opportunity for me to reflect, to talk. That was it. Oh, I told him. backed up. He handed me the piece of paper and we're like, all right. Oh, we're ready? Okay, let's go sit down. Oh, and that was, and that, I feel better now. And that was it. And so, you know, he had apologized when he came home from rehab. And he, you know, and he, that three months of, which I learned what a pink cloud was from you guys, was lovely. You know, it was great. And that's when I thought the world was going to be all be okay again, right? Um, so I did get that. But then this was, this just happened probably four months ago. And he's been in... AA for two years. I mean, that's how long it's taken him to get through all, all of that, which is fine. It takes people whatever amount of time. Um, but I did say a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, we still really need to talk about those amends. I didn't really feel like we got what we really needed out of that. Well, and that's why we hate to use sort of that word me. amends because yeah. that is a one-sided conversation. Yes, exactly. So this resentment processing, yeah. like, there has to be that... Yeah. You know, kind of that give and take. And you have to be able to react. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I hate that amends process. Yeah. And they even have the Al-Anon people do that, you know. And I'm well, like, that's why, second, like no. that's why I hated Al-Anon. Is, and I was so happy to find you guys. Because Al-Anon, how many of you guys have been on an Al-Anon call? They're, it's, so they're just like, they're half. terrible. Because you talk, and that's it. <laughs> There's no comment. It's just silent. And then someone else it's tells so their hilarious. story. And it's horrible and so when I found echoes I'm like oh I found home right you know yeah. I want people to share what they feel about what I'm saying and what their experiences and how it relates mm -hmm. but anyway so back to our topic so yes a little bit but definitely not to the extreme but I do give him credit for you know giving it a go giving it a shot and uh, trying what he learned in AA trying what mm -hmm. he did 100% you know he's in he's all in AA he's keeping that side of the street clean well, it's, it's, I don't, it's not a one-time deal, right? Like, yeah. when you ask that question, yeah. like, we're in super early sobriety. And yes, my husband has acknowledged that this is hard on me. But he almost immediately shifts down into, and it's all my fault. And then it's, it's the end, right? He doesn't hold the space open for anything. And I know that it's not time for me to do my side of the processing yet. 
But I anticipate this being a very long conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> a repetitive, spiraling conversation where each of us has to process things that happened and the other person has to hold steady without going into, into either shame or blame, right? Like mm-hmm. that, like ping-ponging back from shame and blame. But, you know, he's not there yet and we're like, we're still stabilizing. Um, and you can't grow until you've stabilized. So... Uh, you know, and I don't know where everybody is in this process. A lot, a lot of you are way more stabilized than we are, um, but that has to happen first, and then they have to kind of want. Like, you know, if if your husband knew that he's he's never, you're never going to be able to trust him unless he's able to hold steady, not get defensive, not take things personally, not go down into shame, not blame you or blame anything else, but just actually hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. That is the key. If he knows that. He'll probably work harder to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope yeah. my husband will. What a great conversation. Yeah. A few minutes ago, there was something, Avia, that I think you wanted to react to. Yeah, and actually fits really good in what um, Sarah just said. Because um, when you were talking, Nikki, um, my experience is kind of different. And that when my husband stopped drinking, he immediately apologized um, very sincerely. And he immediately wanted to process all the resentments. Hmm. You know, And he got frustrated with me because I wouldn't. And, um, well, one, I, I knew that the sobriety was just him stopping drinking was just the beginning. And I didn't feel safe, you know, in that space. And so, so it's kind of the opposite experience where we're like 11 months in and I'm just starting to feel safe to tell to, him. And to he, tell your truth. To tell him, to, to have him hold it, hold space for that, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that, that I know it's not going to throw him off, that it's not going to yeah. send us into another spiral, that, um... He's not going to use it against me at some point, you know, that sort of thing. Such an important point. I understand that. Well, that's what I was going to say is like in that early time, you don't want to say anything or give any part of yourself away because you don't want it to be thrown back up in your face. You Mm -hmm. don't know if sobriety is going to last. So it has to be, you know, Mm -hmm. like more than a year or so before you can kind of even begin to trust and open up. And even if it is great, like, you know, Matt's kind of like that sort of mentality of like, let's get this done. We're going to check mark this off. We're going to yes. speed through the steps. Like if he was yes. an AA or he would have sped through the steps and be like, okay, now we're done. Yeah. But I was like, I withheld because I was like, listen, you've had nine months of sobriety one time. Who knows how long that's going to stick around. But then I wouldn't want to tell him anything that would get thrown back in my face and be used against me. Yeah. And, and my husband has continued to apologize or and it's a it's like it just feels like a different layer every time like it's more than just him trying to speed through the pain like he, he just gets another layer of it mm-hmm. so I think so it's important through I love that you use the word safety in there because mm-hmm. that might bring visions for people of outbursts or even something physical safety from what I've learned from all of you is just consistency it's yes. I'm gonna get a reasonable response when I bring something up and then the next time I'm going to get a reasonable response and then I'm still going to get a reasonable response as opposed to the irrationality or the tempers. So safety, there's a communication aspect of safety, mm-hmm. right? You're, right? You're not, you're not talking about, you know, like he's going to burn the house down. You're talking about how, like, or, can I trust your response when we talk? Or if because I, say, I'm gonna bring something if I really... say something wrong or if I stumble, yes. that it's not going to be, that he's going to be able to hold space for yeah. me clarifying or, you know what I mean? It's not just going to be this explosion. Yeah. And jump, jump into Defensive his, mode his or, side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. his rebuttal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
just yeah like that would be some of the times like when we would argue and he was still Matt was still drinking I was like I have to write him notes because I felt like I'm not gonna get you know if I took a breath he would be ready to jump in so you know that's kind of how the relationship had been set up so there was no like safe feeling of being able to express myself and I didn't understand what you meant by safe because I didn't oh you know yeah you said something I yelled you yelled there wasn't nobody was ever in danger so I equated safety and danger. Those are opposites. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. equate emotional safety. I didn't know what that meant. So I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, and like what I said, it's like when I said, like, I don't trust my husband. It's not that I don't trust him that he's not going to drink or that he's going to go out and do cheat on me or whatever or, you know, hit me. It's like I don't trust him with my heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Efficiency you of make words. 100%. so much better than what 100%. I said. That's yeah. good. You want to make sure that they can listen to hear you, not listen so they can give a response. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. That too. Yeah. And I've had to learn also to be, like, to learn to um, let him have whatever emotions he's going to have because I think one of the things that inhibits me in communication is a fear that he is going to spiral into depression or shame and so I mean there is part you know there's part editing and holding some conversation but there's also like I need to be able to speak up um at times too and yeah lost where I was going with that but you know that I don't know it's a it's a balance because um one of the things that makes that type of you know sharing hard is a fear for me that he will either um, have a blaming response or the shame response and mm. and then spiral into you know a space where I'm concerned about his you know mental state or um, how he might react but um, but then all of that holding things back you know um, is less speaking out less Um, And so that's, I think, kind of how I've gotten a little bit used to um, staying quiet, you know. And that's, you're just like putting an exclamation point on why finding your community, whatever that community is, is so important. Because when it's not safe, shame, blame, either one, either direction, to communicate with kind of the, the, the source of the issue... You've got to have an outlet somewhere. Right. And you guys, I've watched so much just compassion and empathy and just tenderness that you give to each other and treat each other with. It's really remarkable. Um, I want to give one little piece of advice, and it's specifically to you, Julie. If you ever find yourself in a situation where someone says, okay, it's an open mic and I need a three-minute story... I think you should tell the one about getting your amends while you were waiting for your table. <laughs> you'll kill. You will kill. You'll bring the house down. I mean, that was like a... Re- I know the moth. That was good. The moth. I saved it for tonight. Well, well, this has been a tremendous conversation. Sometimes rumor has it that it, at these retreats, when uh, the group goes away, they want to... They want something to remember the retreat by. Sometimes people get a tattoo. 
Not always, not a requirement, but there's got to be some kind of visual visual depiction. And now, thanks to Sarah, we're going to spend the next hour trying to figure out how to draw a naked turtle with a chisel and a hammer. Because I'm not sure how you... That just doesn't look weird, graphically. Yeah, and I don't think I want to Google what a naked turtle, yeah. turtle has oh, a shell looks like. You'll end up on the dark web. I mean, I already get a naked hairless cat since I want, you know, look at so much cat stuff that I'm like, I don't want to see a naked turtle. You guys are the best. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.